Well, thank you, ladies, for that. Thank you, guys, for, for playing. That was, that was awesome. I always, um, I, I always love this time of year. I always love singing the Christmas songs and, and, and the Christmas carols. It's, it, is a, it is a special time. And, and you know, and we, we talk about this sometimes, like with Easter and these different holidays. You know, in one sense, you know, we're always celebrating Jesus. We're always celebrating that he came to this earth. We're always celebrating that he rose again. And yet I think there is something, you know, that God put inside us to, to really set aside these times and, and focus uh, on, on times like this through the course of a year. And, and um, you know, so today is one of those days, and, and, and so I'm appreciative of that. Obviously, next Sunday is Christmas Day itself, and as, as you heard in the announcements, we, we will be meeting uh, for that special occasion at 11 a.m., but um, I, I want you to know, like, you know, when we announce that, and if you're, a, if you're a parent of a young child, and you hear, there's no child care, I know, you, I know where your mind goes. I've been a parent of, uh, of young children. But truly, don't worry. This is going to be, like, as Jeff said, this is going to be a family, uh, a family service. It's going to be shorter. We're 11 to 12. It's going to be, um, there's going to be a lot going on. We will have a couple rooms set up if you need to take your children out. But even during the very, you know, short time that we'll have a message, um, I will be speaking I'm not worried about the distractions. Uh, we're going to be talking about family things, uh, in fact, during that time. And so it's fitting for all of our families uh, to be here. So don't, don't worry about that. Uh, but we did th think that we should get a Christmas focus started early this year. And so today, that's really what I'm, I'm going to be focused on. You know, for the last two months, we've been going through this series that I titled Family Portraits. And we've been looking at various families so far, at least in, in the, the sermons that I've preached out of the book of Genesis to see the pictures that we can apply to our marriages and to our families. And, and today we're actually going to move out of the book of Genesis and see a family portrait from the earthly family of Jesus. And for this family portrait, I, I'm going to analyze the aspect of, of Jesus' birth. I mean, since it is Christmas and all, as I know that's, that's pretty, pretty profound there. Um, but this is the time, this time of year, that we set aside to celebrate the most important birth in the history of mankind. And of course, this is a big deal for Christians, but listen, we all know this. This is celebrated by everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. And, and, and it seems like Christmas is not losing any momentum, you know, as we keep moving through time. I think Christmas is doing just fine. It's doing just fine. You know, even 2,000 years after Jesus' birth occurred. And to prove the acceptance of Christmas across the world, the Guinness Book of World Record shows that the most expensive Christmas tree in history was erected at the Emirates Palace Hotel in Abu Dhabi in 2010. I think we have a picture. There it is. That Christmas tree right there was valued at $11.4 million. $11.4 million dollars. Now, I don't know how that differs from the tree that is in your house. It's a little different than the tree we have um, sitting up right here. It doesn't look that special to me, but it was decorated in ornaments that were full of diamonds and gold and emeralds and sapphires and all sorts of things. Now, I, I do want to say there's, there's a place in Spain 
that erected a Christmas tree that they claim was worth $15 million in 2019. But they didn't go through the trouble of getting it certified by Guinness. So this is still the one that, you know, that we're saying is, is the most expensive. But the, the point of me telling you that, but, you know, besides pointing out you know, just the obvious excess um, in that, the point of me telling you is that this was erected in Abu Dhabi. That is not the most Christian country in the world. Um, you're probably aware that it's a Muslim country, and Islam takes a very different view of Jesus than biblical Christianity does. And while I know that many Muslims do not celebrate the birth of Jesus, the, the fact is, some do. And the Emirates Palace Hotel is not to, afraid to put up a very expensive Christmas tree in celebration of Jesus' birth. And listen, I, I know all, all the stuff about, you know, the pagan roots of Christmas trees, and I know what the book of Jeremiah says, and I know all of that. But the fact is, we, we've put up Christmas trees in our culture today and cultures throughout the word, world to celebrate Jesus' birth because it's that big of a deal. I mean, it's such a big deal. The world's calendar is based on it, <laughs> right, right? We're in 2022 A.D., means... Anno Domini, it's Latin for the year of our Lord. doesn't mean after death. Sorry to spoil that for some of you. Um, it's Latin for the year of our Lord. B.C. does stand for before Christ. And, and this is accepted all over the world by many who don't believe in the Christ that it is based on. They don't believe his birth was miraculous, and they don't believe he was or is God. And so if it was a farce, it, it, it's had some incredibly strong staying power. <laughs> Well, that leads me to believe it's not a farce. In the story of the birth of Jesus, it's a, it's a very, very interesting Bible story to consider, especially from the perspective of Mary and Joseph, the mother and the, you know, the earthly stepfather of Jesus. I'm not 100% sure what to call Joseph because the, the Bible is careful not to call Joseph Jesus' father. We'll, we'll talk more about that later on this morning. But the birth of Jesus, it provided a very interesting dilemma in, within a family. It provided a very interesting dilemma with Mary and Joseph. They weren't yet married. And, you know, just to, to use, you guys are aware of this, but to use our cultural vernacular, they were engaged, right? They were, they were betrothed to be married, and Mary comes up pregnant. And so I'm sure people had some questions, you know, not the least of which was Joseph. And I think we can all understand that, and, you know, because you know, there's one thing Joseph knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the kid wasn't his. He knew that. You know, and, and, and Mary's selling and trying to sell him on some angel story, and he, you know, he's like, well, okay. But listen, Mary had some questions too, because this wasn't normal. This was new territory for everyone. So their story could have taken a number of different turns, but what it came down to and what I want us all to see this morning is they both had the right response to Revelation. And that's the title for today's message as we examine the family portrait of this most family, most famous and most important family in the Bible. And in this family portrait, we're going to look at when and, and how they learned what was actually happen, happening when the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph, when Gabriel spoke to Mary. And so we're going to see this story from both of their perspectives. In Matthew chapter 1, Verses 18 through 25, we're going to see the story from Joseph's perspective. And then we're going to flip over to Luke chapter 1, and in verses 26 through 38, we're going to look at this story from Mary's perspective. 
So if you're in the habit of using your physical Bible, I encourage you to turn to both of those passages and we'll be flipping back and forth. So you can, you can keep your hand in one or put a bookmark in one and we'll be going back and forth. But what we are going to see as we examine both of these passages is that while Joseph and Mary had similar, albeit different, experiences, they both ended up in the same spot. And it was the correct spot. And, and here is what I, I want you to understand very clearly just from the outset of this message. They ended up in the right spot not because of their experiences. They ended up in the right spot because of their response to the revelation of God that came through their respective experiences. And that is so important for us this morning. As we celebrate this, this time of year, it's important for us to understand this point. Because when it comes to our life and when it comes to our families, our response to the revelation of God contained in this book will ultimately determine our path. It, it ultimately determines everything. And how we are used by God in this life and in our family, if we are at all. Because I want you to think just for a moment, what if Joseph and Mary would have responded differently? And what, what would have happened? Well, well, here's what I know would have happened. God would have still accomplished all that he desired to accomplish. His plan would not have been stopped. But maybe he wouldn't have used them in the process. Maybe he would have found a different couple to fulfill his mission. You see, whether or how much we are used by God in this life and within our family, it's all based on our response to his revelation. So let's look at Joseph and Mary's response to this very unique situation and then see what we can learn from it. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1, and then we'll flip over to Luke chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife, and he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And now flip over to Luke chapter 1. That's... That's the, that's the, the message from, uh, from Joseph's perspective. And we want to look at this from Mary's perspective as well. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And again, these are very similar but different experiences. Even the angels were different. But Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. 
And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and, and cast her mind. What manner of salutation this should be? She's, she's confused. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, um, we come to you this time um, j- just wanting to celebrate you. And, and we're so thankful for this Christmas story. We're so thankful that you saw fit to come to this earth as a man and, and live the life that you lived in complete perfection and, and die to death that only you could die uh, the, for, the, for the sacrifice of the, of the sins of your people for us as well. And, and Lord, we're so grateful for that. And Lord, as we, as we come to you today, I, I just pray that we can clear our minds and, and see very clearly uh, what you want us to see this morning and out of the revelation of your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll use it in our life. And I pray if there's anyone here today that they don't know you as Savior, Lord, that today you will open their eyes to the truth of your word and to the truth of who you are. And Lord, we, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I love, I love reading these passages. Like I said, I love the Christmas story. I love this time of year. I love the thoughts that Christmas conjures up in my mind. We'll actually be talking about some of that. Uh, next Sunday on Christmas Day, and I, so I, I hope you do too. But like I said in the introduction, this is the most important birth in the history of mankind. I mean, I know, I know you thought that your precious little ones, you know, were the biggest deal around. You know, but I'm sorry to tell you that's just not the case. But for the players involved in Jesus' birth, you have to admit, from a human perspective, the circumstances were weird. And because of that, in these two accounts of of the information being given about the birth of Jesus that we just read, we see a strong range of emotions. We see in both Joseph and Mary, they were troubled. They were confused. They were perplexed. And again, that's that's understandable. This was quite the situation in which they found themselves. Of, Of no particular doing of their own, by the way, with the exception... That the Bible said Joseph was a just man, and Mary was pure and highly favored. So they had lived their lives in such a way that God decided to use them in this capacity for this major world-changing event. But as I've already mentioned, what I want you to see this morning and what I want to focus on, again, it's not even the revelation itself. It's not the confusion or the bewilderment that they had in this situation. I want you to see their response to the revelation of God. Because in spite of being troubled and confused and perplexed, we also see that by the end of each passage, they were resolute. And they were willing to move forward in faith based on the revelation of God. 
Listen, that right there is the key for each and every one of us today. Because there are times for all of us, especially in the context of family relationships, where we are faced with troubling and confusing times. And when we don't exactly know how to handle a particular situation, and we don't know what other people are going to think about this situation. And what we're going to learn this morning is that God gives us a path out of that confusion. We just have to respond correctly to what he reveals to us out of his word. And, and that right there is, a, is an important note, what he reveals to us out of his word. So before we get into our main points, I, I do need to talk for just a minute about the revelation of God itself. Because what we saw in, in both of those passages that we read was God interacting with Joseph and Mary through angels and dreams. That was the revelation of God. That's how he revealed his will, through angels and, and through a dream. And, and that was appropriate for that time in history. You see, God has worked different ways Throughout history, he is, he's dispensed his grace differently. There's been different ways of salvation. Now, it's always been by faith, through grace, faith in what God has said, obedience to God's word. But, but the methods of how people accepted salvation, the way salvation was attributed to them, is different through time. Sometimes we call that dispensationalism. And, and we're not here to talk about that. I'm not, I promise I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But I think we all understand that even at the very highest level. We know that in the Old Testament, God worked differently than he does today. Right? We're not sacrificing animals anymore. The high priest isn't going to once a year into the most holy place to atone for our sins. That's not happening today. And God has set up different rules at different times in history. And that Principle includes the way that God has revealed his will and spoken to men throughout history. And he's done that and he continues to do that two primary ways. So we have what's called God's general revelation. And then we have what is called his specific or his special revelation. And his general revelation is what God has spoken to man through creation. Right? Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens declare, they speak a very strong message. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those invisible things, those spiritual things, can be seen in the physical in the physical aspect of God's creation. I don't know how anyone can look at this world. I don't know how anyone can look at the intricacies of a human body and believe that occurred by chance through some big bang. Listen, that, that takes more faith, at least in my opinion, than our way. And listen, follow the, you know, follow the science. I like to say that. The science doesn't back that up. It just doesn't. But then throughout time, so, so God reveals himself in create, creation, but then God also has always provided more specific or special revelation. And for a special revelation, he's used various methods throughout history. At times he spoke audibly. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through visions. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through angels. And he's, finally he spoke through his word, through the word of God, both the physical 
Jesus and the written word of God that we hold in our hands today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. And if we apply this to our story, we know that when Jesus was born, there was not a completed word of God. So he revealed himself differently then than he does today. Because today we do have a completed and preserved and perfect written word. Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 9 and 10 in in the context of God using spiritual gifts to reveal his will, he said that some of those gifts will cease, that they won't be necessary when that which is perfect is come. And verse 9 says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which was in part shall be done away. And when we have his perfect word fully available to us, that is all we need. And that is exactly where you and I are at today. We have right here God's full revelation to us. We don't need anything else. We have a more sure word of prophecy, even than God's own audible voice. That is what Peter tells us. That's what the word tells us. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 19, Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, for we have made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was there every step of the way. And then look what he says about God himself, for he received from God the Father Honor and glory when there came such a voice to to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that happens on Mount Transfiguration in Matthew 17. You can go back and look at that. Peter and James and John heard the audible voice of God. But look at what he says about that in verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. We were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure Word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. We have a more sure word of prophecy than even God's audible voice. And listen to me, that is a, that is a great, great privilege that you and I today in, within one book have the full and special revelation that God wants for us to have today. Not everybody in history could say that. But with great privilege comes great responsibility. We have a great responsibility to hold this book where God desires it to be held, in our lives and in front of the world. That's a great privilege. So when we talk about the revelation of God today, this is it. He doesn't work today like he did in times past. Today, he speaks to us through his word. So we all clear on that? All right, good. So with that foundation laid, I want you to see what the revelation of God brings to confusing family situations. And here's where it starts. The revelation of God brings clarity. The revelation of God brings clarity. And God did that for both Joseph and Mary. They found themselves in a situation where they were not sure what was going on, but God didn't leave them in the dark. He brought clarity to their situation. We'll start with Joseph. He he, he talks in verse 19, so he finds out, obviously, what's going on. 
And it says Joseph was a just man, and and he's going to put her away privily. He's going to put her away in private. He's not going to marry her, right? And and there were he had some options in that time under the law, and and this was the the most tender option to just put her away in private. But then look at verse twenty. It says, but while he thought on these things, right? He didn't make a snap decision, and and that's just that's just good. Family counsel right there. When things are weird, once you, once you think and meditate on these things a little bit. But while you thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This is a very, this is a, this is a super interesting passage. And, you know, for you Bible study students, I just, I just point out there that it was the angel of the Lord that appeared unto him. And if you, if you do that study, this time in history, that's a pre-incarnate Jesus is declaring his own birth. Like that is, ah, oh, this is just so awesome. Like run those verses. This is it's just a super cool stuff. But he tells, he brings clarity to Joseph on, on what's going on. And he did the same thing for Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 30. A different angel. This is Gabriel. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. But listen, so he tells her, but she's still confused. She's like, how can this happen? I've I've never known a man. And just skip down to verse 34. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also... That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. See, God tells them exactly what was happening. And that is what God's word, that is what God's revelation can do for us too. So if you find yourself in a confusing and a troubling situation this morning, please know that clarity and a path forward is always available. You can find clarity in your situation. Now, you still might not understand it. You still might not be able to put your human brain around it. But you can find clarity and a path forward. But that's not available through this world. It's probably not even available through your friends. But it can be found in God's Word. That is where truth and clarity are provided. That is the light that God chooses and wants to use to guide us in dark times. When we are confused and troubled and perplexed, go to his word. Because as Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And brothers and sisters, I can't explain to you how great of a promise that that is. But you have to pay attention to those verses. Because there's a part that you and I play, especially in today's dispensation. You see, his word is absolutely a lamp. But a lamp has to be turned on. A lamp has to be lit for it to provide light. And read very carefully Psalm 119 verse 130. It says it is the entrance of his words that gives light. So that means if you don't let them in, then you do not get the light that they are there to provide. 
You have to be willing to open this light and hear what they're telling you. It's the entrance of the light that giveth light. And you have to hear what they're saying in humility, acknowledging that God has the answer and you don't. And I say that because in in Psalm 119, verse 130, it's such a great verse. It says, his words give understanding to the simple. And simple means foolish. That's so interesting, but it means foolish in that you are willing to be a fool in the world's eyes by trusting in God and and in what he says. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.10, We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And it goes back to what he said in the first chapter of that book to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You see, according to Psalm 116, verse 6, says, the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and it helped me. And man, that's an, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad he does that. I'm sure glad he preserves the simple. And, and I am simple enough that I'm willing to be a fool for him. I'll base my life on it. And the world can think what they think. I'm sure glad that when I recognize that when I don't know anything, then he's willing to bring me some clarity. Or as James says, he'll give you wisdom as long as you ask with that right, humble heart. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So the revelation of God brings clarity. But listen, clarity is just that. You now know what's going on. You have an understanding of what's going on. But but here's the thing. You might not like what you find out. That's why the key issue is our response. We're going to get there. But if you go back to the story of, of, of this, the angels telling Joseph and Mary about what's happening, you know, what was the clarity What was the clarity that they brought? What was the light that God's revelation brought to Joseph and Mary? It was the truth about Jesus. It was that Mary, as a virgin, was going to give birth to the Son of God. That was the clarity. That was what the the light that got brought, that God brought to them. Like we already talked about before, Joseph and Mary could have done a lot of things with that information. Joseph didn't have to believe it. Mary could have gotten mad at God about it. I'm sure in in some ways, it was a hard truth for them. Because it's a hard truth for many even today. The virgin birth of Jesus has been attacked throughout history. On, On both sides of the coin, by the way. Because on one side, you have people that just simply don't believe it, never believed it, and say Mary was not a virgin, and therefore Jesus was not the Son of God. But then on the other side, you have the, the Catholic doctrine of immaculate conception. You've maybe heard that term. Well, that's, that doctrine states that Mary herself was without sin. 
among other things. And that leads to Mariology or the worship of Mary. And both of those are wrong. So you need to, you need to understand these things because if someone comes up and asks you and said, do you believe in, in the immaculate conception, not the immaculate reception, the immaculate conception. I know we have some Steelers fans out there. But if someone asks you, do you believe in the immaculate conception, your answer should be no, I do not. I believe in the virgin birth. That's what I believe in. I believe in the virgin birth. And I'll explain that a little bit more even here as we go on. But I mentioned earlier also that the Bible is careful to not call Joseph his father. So, for example, in Matthew 2.13, it says, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You see, he didn't say, take your young child. He said, take the young child and her mother. And again, from a human perspective, this, this just points to the awkwardness of this situation for Joseph and Mary. So here's the thing about the revelation of God in our life and the, and the clarity that it brings. Many times, it's inconvenient. Many times, it's a hard truth. And God shows you some stuff about yourself or about your family, about how you need to lead your family. And you think about that, and you're like, man, I'm not sure that I want to go down that path. I don't know that those around me, what they'll think about that. I don't know if they'll believe it. I don't know if they'll like it. And what if I face opposition to this? This isn't going to make sense to a lot of other people. And in those moments, you have to decide, what are you going to do with that revelation? In the face of opposition. Just think about those conversations that Joseph and Mary would have had with her, their friends and family. They must have thought they were crazy. But if you'll stand strong and trust in God more than you trust in anything else, and you trust in the clarity of the revelation of God, you can get to the second thing that the revelation of God brings, and that is the revelation of God brings conviction. It brings conviction because in, in spite of how things looked, in spite of what others might have been saying, Joseph and Mary believed what God told them. And that gave them the conviction and the confidence to move forward in faith. We see Joseph's response in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says, And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He did it. You know, he, he had already decided he was going to put her away. And then he thought about it, and in that process of meditating, which, you know, there's a good biblical principle there, in that process of med meditating, God revealed his will to him. And, as, you know, as we meditate in God's word, he's, he'll do the same thing for us. So he thought on those things as he meditated. God gave him the, the revelation, gave him the clarity, and he doesn't bat an eye. He's like, okay, well, then I'm going to marry her. I'm going to do what's right until Jesus is born, and then I'm going to name him Jesus because that's what you told me to do. And, 
And, and, and that's just, that's just the conviction to do what is right in spite of what other people may think. And, and by the way, speaking, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about the error in the doctrine of immaculate conception. That doctrine also states that Mary remained a virgin her entire life and never had any other children. But the Bible refutes that, including right here in Matthew, Matthew 125, says Jesus was her, what? Firstborn son, implying that there were more to come, which the Bible confirms. I have no idea what they do with Mark 6.3 that says, is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So that's just a, it's just a bonus for you. But it's important to understand, you know, what we believe and, and, and what others believe as well. But Joseph had the right response and and so did Mary. Mary's response is, is tremendous. Look, we find it in Luke one thirty eight. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And man, what a, what, a, what a wonderful attitude that, you know, we lack at times. Be it to me according to thy word. If, if we had that attitude, man, how much different would our worlds look? But you see, they both accepted what God told them, and they responded correctly in faith. And it didn't matter what the world said. It didn't matter what their friends thought. It didn't matter what it looked like. They moved forward with conviction that God's plan for them was the right plan. And they weren't ashamed to follow the Lord in that plan, wherever it took them, no matter what opposition they faced. Listen, I think this is a problem for many Christians today, for many Christian families today, and especially in American culture in this Laodicean time period, even in a church like ours. Because we receive the clarity that comes with the revelation of God as it relates to us, whether it, it, it pertains to our particular situation or a family situation, whatever it might be. We receive some clarity that, that God shows us what's going on and we hear it preached or we see it in the Bible for ourselves. Maybe our eyes have been opened to some truth in this sermon series as it relates to marriage and family. So you have some newfound clarity. But the thought of living your life according to that revelation, is daunting. Because you got to die to your flesh. You're afraid of what others might think of you. You're afraid on what you might lose out on if you walk with conviction according to the Word of God. Because some people, maybe even within your own family, they might think you're crazy. They might even tell you so. Can you still follow God's word in those situations? And this really just gets to the practical implications of, of, of your, of my belief system. Do you believe the revelation of God is the best path for your life? Do you believe that? Because the truth is, the Bible will always work in your life and in your family if you approach it correctly. It is sufficient in all areas of life. And yet, I know many people, I, I counsel people 
that, that say that it doesn't, that they've tried it, and they've given the Bible a try and it doesn't work. And, and many of them have walked away from the Lord because of it. Well, if you're headed down that path, let me give you the answer. Because maybe you wonder why you struggle and why the Christian life and why the Bible doesn't work for you. And why it has no impact in your life. And you read it and yet it doesn't change you. It's, it's, it, this is why. It's because you don't believe it. At the bottom line, you don't believe it. You don't trust that it is what it says it is, what God says it is, and you don't trust that it'll work. You don't have conviction in what God says, so therefore it doesn't change your life. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh, Listen, it'd be great if there was a period after worketh, but there's not. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, it's only going to work if you believe. And if you don't, then your Christian life, your ability to glorify God, it's going to be limited. There's just no getting around that. Listen, at the end of the day, this gets to the question that we should always be asking ourselves because all of life, every area of life pretty much boils down to this one question. What am I going to do with what God has said? All of life boils down to this, this one question. What am I going to do with what God has said? And God has said a lot. But what are we going to do with it? But if you can get that right, if you can get that, that answer right, God can use you, God can use your family for his glory, but you must believe and have conviction in those beliefs. But when you do, that is when true help and true peace comes. Because the last thing we learn about the revelation of God is that the revelation of God brings a cure. Revelation of God brings a cure. And the cure in this story and every story is Jesus. Because living the life of Jesus according to his word is the answer to all of the issues in your life. The word of God, both capital W and small w, will do the work. It cures your ails, all of them, if you will respond correctly. Look at what the angel of the Lord told Joseph. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And here's what Gabriel told Mary. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. See, the revelation to Joseph and Mary was that the Savior of the world was coming. The revelation was the revelation. <laughs> Jesus was the proof that God's revelation was correct. He proved over time to be who, he, who God said he was. And listen to me. The word of God 
has proven to be true at every single turn as well. No errors. It's never failed. And listen, God's revelation is about that. It's about hope. It's about a new start. It's about a cure for you and your family. In fact, it is why God sent Jesus to this earth through Mary. You see, Jesus came to this earth for a very specific purpose. And according to Matthew 121, it was to save his people. Now, historically and doctrinally, his people are the Jews, the nation of Israel. And that salvation did not end up happening at his first coming because of their rejection. But it will happen. The word of God will and always is true. So it will happen at his second coming, Romans eleven twenty six, and says, and so all Israel shall be saved. You can count on it. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So his people were the Jews and, and he's coming back to save them. But listen, this is good news for you and me too. Because you and I can find salvation in Jesus today as well. He is the cure for everything and everyone, not only the Jews. This is when they rejected him, this opened up to all of us. And the cure is the right word here. Because we all have a disease problem. And that disease problem is sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So this is why he came to the earth. We celebrate his birth every year, right? Next Sunday, December 25th, this whole season. We celebrate his birth, and his birth, and we absolutely should celebrate it. But listen, he came to this earth with the mission to die so that you and I could live. So Christmas is about the cure to the problems of this world and the problems in your life. Christmas is about salvation. The famous Christmas story found in Luke chapter 2, you, you see it in Charlie Brown Christmas. In verses 9 through 11 it says, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And can I tell you that the fact that he is called a Savior means that somebody needs saving. And according to 1 Timothy 1.15 that we just read, that is sinners. That is me. And that is you. We all need a Savior because we all have this disease called sin dwelling in us. And when you and I were born, we inherited many things from our birth parents. And that included a sin nature that comes from our original sinful father, Adam. Romans 5.12 Romans says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the, into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that's because according to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wage is something you earn, right? As a result of the work that you do, and all we earn for our works on this earth is death. And it's because of the standard. The standard, according to Romans 3.23 that we read a minute ago, is God's glory. is perfection. So unless you never sin, your works are not good enough to save you. 
And you need to know that when the Bible talks about death from sin, it's, it's not talking about physical death. It's a spiritual death that is eternal separation from God in a place commonly referred to as hell. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 and 9 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The book of Revelation calls it the second death. It says it's a place of burning fire, a lake of fire that's a place of eternal torment. And listen, I know that's bad news, but praise the Lord, Jesus, born that Christmas morning, lived that mission to die for us, to be, to be that sacrifice accepted by the Father. In Romans 5.8, we read it. We read it all the time. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, how incredible is that? There's the Savior. And going back to Romans 6.23, we read the first part of that verse. But, man, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a wonderful but in there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's, that's why he came. And that's why we celebrate this season. He came to live a perfect life, to die as a sacrifice for you and me, because we couldn't. We have this sin nature, we have this disease of sin, and we can't solve the problem on our own. We need a cure, and Jesus is it. It's the gospel, it's what it's defined in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. You can you see the gospel defined there. And according to Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you place your faith... And that finished work of what Jesus did on the cross by dying for our sins is that perfect sacrifice. Then you can be saved and live eternally in heaven with, with, with Christ. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, that's all it takes. But here's the thing. It's all based on your response to the revelation of God. What are you going to do with what God has said? Do you have clarity on what God has said in his word about himself this morning? And if so, do you have the conviction of the heart to move on it? Do you believe his word enough to do something about it? Because if you do, you can be cured today. God will seal your eternal destiny if you will just submit to him and his word this morning. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever.